welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. That's super exciting, guys. I'm, I'm glad we, we got to do that. We get to, uh, this. when I say kingdom disciples, engaging society, how that arises the church, I'm not talking about just Trinity Life Church. This is the church in our city. This is the church in our nation. This is the church around the world. This is why we talk about influencing our city and the world. And, and we're, not, we're not losing people at all. We are sending them as kingdom disciples to engage somewhere else. So let's see what... Jesus has to say about the church here in Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to fly through this. So just, just follow me as we, as we go through this text. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus is asking you that this morning. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that... Jesus is, the Son of Man is, is a, a, a just a kind of nickname for Jesus that, that he uses. You can trace it back to the Hebrew scriptures and, for instance, the book of Daniel. And, and he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And there's the disciples respond in verse 14. And they say, so well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And, and he's... In verse 15, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And so the disciples respond, and, they, and they're saying, well, they, they name three figures, and you know, C.S. Lewis has this thing called uh, trilemma, where, where he says, either Jesus is a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. He's... Because someone who's making this, the claims and the statements that Jesus makes, those are the only three options. We can't just say, oh, well, Jesus is, or the Son of Man is, a good moral teacher. We can't just say, and a lot of people say, they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus is, is, is great. There's some good things he teaches. Uh, but C.S. Lewis says, well, you can't say that because he actually claims to be God. And you can't, he can't be a good moral teacher if he also claims something that's very outrageous. So either he's a lunatic or he's a liar. And, and, then he'll, and then he says, and then we have people who say, well, well Jesus is a, uh, well, he's a prophet. And, and again, you can't say that. You can't say he's a mouthpiece for the Lord when he says he's also the Lord. Right? Those things are, are uh, incompatible. They're mutually exclusive unless he actually is Lord. So C.S. Lewis says, I know it's unbelievable, I know it's hard, however outrageous it is, that's the only thing I can land on if I believe Jesus actually existed and the things he said are true. So here he's saying, well, who do, who do they say I am? They enlist some people, and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And guys, there's this popular song right now, and, and I, I love this song. Uh, it's, it's by Hillsong, it's who I am who you say I am, which is, which is true, and we, we love singing that, right? We sing it here, I hear it uh, other places, and it's a great song because it's like, I, I'm chosen, not forsaken, I, I am who you say I am, I am, what else is in there? <laughs> some, some other things, but, 
But, but the point is, and those are good. You are chosen. You aren't forsaken. But do you know why that is? You're chosen because Jesus is chosen. You're, you're not forsaken because Jesus was forsaken for your behalf. And, and here's the thing. You can't say, I am who you say I am to God when you don't know who Jesus says he is. Do you follow me there? You can't say, I, Jesus, I know you say I'm chosen when you don't actually believe he's chosen. And you may be sitting there saying, oh, well, I've chosen to follow Jesus and follow Jesus, but do you know who Jesus is? Or did you miss something about Jesus? So many of, of us have missed something about Jesus that the Gospels say he is. A lot of us have this picture of, of Jesus being this, this Renaissance, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, petting a baby sheep guy. And Jesus is very hard in the Gospels. He's not very gray. He's pretty black and white. He, he says, follow me or, or don't. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to chase after you in that way. I, here's, here's the options. I'm pursuing you with love. But if you don't want it, I can't force it on you. He says, hey, to the, to the rich guy, he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He goes straight to his heart, right? And, and the guy can't do it. He walks away sad. Jesus doesn't run after him. He's just, bye. Like, okay. Uh, Jesus says hard statements in the gospel. Where he says, you're not worthy of me. Like, that's, that's hard. We don't preach on those very often. We don't teach on those things. We, we, we think of Jesus in gentleness and love, and yes, those are true, but they're with the hard things. Jesus says the way is wide that leads to destruction. The way is narrow that leads to life. And I am, he says, the way, the truth, and the life. Not many find that. So Jesus is saying here, who do you say that I am? Ask yourself that this morning. Jesus is asking you that this morning. Who do you say that he is? Who are you saying that Jesus is? Who do you say he is as you are at your workplace? And that may not just be speaking. It's how do you live your life? Do you live your life like you believe Jesus is Lord? Do you live your life like we just saying, like you believe he is good? Or do you live your life like he isn't good, whatever that ends up looking like? Do you, do you live your life like he's a good father? Do you live your life like you've been made alive in Christ? Or do you live your life like you're still dead in your sins and your trespasses? Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ. Now, this is the first time in Matthew that someone has uttered those words. Matthew, there's maybe three, four, or five times in the book of Matthew where Matthew has an editorial note where he calls Jesus the Christ, but it's not someone speaking it. So it's the first time that someone has declared that Jesus is the Christ, which means the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who's come to rescue us, the one who's come to save us, has all this theological weight and, and baggage in that one word, the anointed one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a huge declaration. In verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's what the bar means there, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This hasn't come through, this has not come through uh, him having his own earthly knowledge, he says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this, but my Father, God the Father, in heaven has revealed it. In verse 18, I tell you, Peter, or I tell you, you are Peter, and Peter means rock. It's the Greek, it's the Greek word for rock. And so he says, I tell you, you are Peter. You know what's interesting? Like we, this is a, a common name today. We have we have a guy named Peter, yep, he's waving right now, and everyone's like, okay. 
<laughs> we, we have a get, and, but, and it's a normal name now, but I don't, I don't think this was very normal. A lot of scholars think like this wasn't, this is the first time we've seen this name. Like someone actually called this name. It's just like calling someone the rock. There's only, like who does that? Except Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> I mean, there's only one rock, right? Uh, so he, he says here, you are rock. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's three theological positions on, on what Jesus says when he says, on this rock I'll build my church. I'm going to lay them out for you real quickly. One is, this is Peter. Jesus is saying, on, Peter, on you, on, on this rock I'm going to build my church. The evidence for that is Acts 2. We see Peter stepping forward full of the Spirit, and, and he preaches a sermon where thousands of people come to Christ that day, and the church is birthed out of that, that movement. And so there's, there's scriptural evidence for that. Uh, also, it's this, people would say that it's the declaration, that Peter's declaration is, is the rock that the church is going to be built on, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that truth, that declaration is, is what the church is, is built on. And the other thing is, we don't see this in the text, uh, because you have to imagine this happening, that Jesus says, you are Peter on this rock. It's almost like he's pointing to himself. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. You are rock on this rock. Okay, so those are three options. Actually, I think they're all good options. Scholars will debate them for, they've debated it for centuries, and we're not going to settle that debate here, but all have scriptural evidence, and all are actually pretty good things because we see scriptural evidence of all that, I think we can probably actually combine those because Peter is, if it is Peter, he's living and he's only moving on, on the Spirit's behalf. He's only operating in the Spirit when, when we see this happening. And it's through that confession that it happens, and it's through Jesus that that confession happens. So, okay, he says, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. Yeah. In the church, we have this defensive mindset. We have this, we have this mindset where we just need to fend off the enemy's attacks. We just need to, uh, and, and Paul says this, he says to stand firm. He says, when you can't do anything else, stand firm. This is an offensive mindset right here. This is not a defensive mindset. This is offensive. And Eddie Leo says this, he's a pastor in Jakarta that, that leads a huge movement. He says this, do gates move? And you're like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Is that a trick question? He says, no, gates are in the ground. They don't move. They don't advance. They're just there to keep people out. And so the gates of hell, he says, don't move. So who's on the move here? The church. It's not the gates are moving on us, trying to prevail against us, we're trying to hold back the gates. He says, no, the church, we are moving on the gates. We are the ones, and the, the gates, he says, will not prevail against the church. The church will win. The church is victorious. The church has overcome, because guess what? When Jesus says, who do, I, who do you say I am? He's the victor. He's overcome. He's a conqueror, all these things. So Jesus, based on that, says in verse 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Oh, man, I forgot the door. 
I wanted to bring that door this morning. We did it in our Body Life Collective, which is where all our small groups come together for a night of prayer, praise, worship, hearing from the Lord. We did this awesome activity with a, an old wooden door that I was going to bring here. It was going to be awesome. I was going to put it up here and point to it and show you some things. So just picture that right here, <laughs> sitting right there. It's so beautiful. It says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom on it. And that night, we had everyone on an index card write something they're binding and something they're loosing, and then nail it with a key to that wooden door. And it's just a beautiful work of art. Uh, I don't know who did it, who, who did all that on there, the writing. And, yeah. yeah, so it was just, it was just great. Um, it, was so, it was so amazing. Uh, and, and this is just the truth for us today, guys. He says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And that is actually a very peculiar Greek construction there. You'll see it in your footnotes if you have a Bible. Uh, you'll see what that construction is in the footnotes. It's weird translated into English. So they kind of, for, for like smoothness sake, they put it in the footnotes, not up here. But it's basically saying that whatever is bound in heaven you get to bind here. And whatever is loosed in heaven, you are loosing. So we are operating out of our re spiritual reality of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. So when you bind bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, that's already been done in Christ Jesus. You're just his agent in doing that. And then when you lose forgiveness and joy and peace, same thing. So he says here, I will give you those keys. I'll give you access. And then in verse 20, he strictly charges the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the messianic secret, uh, the theologians call it, because uh, it's weird. It's like, why is he telling them to be, keep a secret? We're going to find out why in the next few verses. Because he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? And Peter takes Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the, our Redeemer, our Rescuer, the Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor, mighty, you know, all these things. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. We're like, whoa, who does this guy think he is? We do this all the time. Because this word actually isn't like a strong, like, hey, Jesus, yeah, like, you need to yeah, get out of my way. So he's, he's based, this word basically means he's sitting Jesus aside and saying, hey, I don't know if this is the best idea, Jesus. I don't know if you should do this. I don't think this is wise. How many of you do that with God? God's telling you to go this way, and you're like, I don't know, God. I, I, I know you're saying this way, but I just... I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's good for me. I know you're a good God, yeah, yeah, but actually like this better. I want to be here. We do this all the time. We rebuke Jesus in this way all the time. Because we know God wants to go this way, and we say, ugh, but then I'd have to give this up. Oh, I'd have to let go of that. I'd have to move out of this relationship. I'd have to not work here. I'd have to not pursue my dreams. You, like, you hear yourself? My dreams. And Jesus is trying to give you something much greater than your dreams. 
And, 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 we, and we sit Jesus aside and we say, yeah, I don't think so, Jesus. Well, Peter does that, and look what happens. <laughs> and, and the reason the Messianic secret is because Jesus knows if they start telling him he's the Christ and the living God, they're going to want him to do something that he's not supposed to do. Jesus says the way to freedom is through death and suffering, not through me taking over. Oh, man. How many of you guys just want to take over and have control? And the way to freedom in your life is through death and suffering. It's not through having control. It's through dying to yourself and suffering for righteousness' sake. That's what following Jesus means. We're going to get to that in a second. And he pulls Peter aside. Well, Peter says to him, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns. Oh, man, that's like a dramatic moment in the scriptures. It's like three words. He's like, but he turned. Like, ugh. You like, if you have a soundtrack to that and when you're reading the Bible, it's like, boom. Like, Jesus just, he, he turns, right? And you can see his piercing eyes look at Jesus and the rest of the disciples. Like, that is just... I don't, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I, I would, I would want, in that moment, if I'm Peter, I just shriveled. And I, he says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. It's like a complete reversal of what he just affirmed in Peter. He says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You reverted from God operating to flesh and blood operating. Whereas you weren't operating in that, God revealed something to you, now you're operating back in the, in the flesh and in blood. And he just, and, and we don't see what happens actually after that. We don't know what happens to Peter, poor guy. Uh, but uh, some of us need that. When we sit Jesus down, we need him to say, you have no idea what you're talking about right now. I love you, Jesus is saying. I, I, like, you're operating in a different spirit than the one I've given you. And I want you to see something better than what you think. Because he sees everything. And we need to trust him in that way. So, in verse 24 he says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow, this is one of those hard statements in the Gospels, deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross, guys. This isn't, this isn't a beautiful thing. This was a cross of suffering, of torture, of public humiliation and disgrace. It was a burden on Jesus his whole life. And he says, daily, you do that. And you take that up. That's what we sign up for. If you're a follower of Jesus today, our four people that are getting baptized, that's what they sign up for. Those of you who, are, who have decided to follow Jesus, you sign up for that. You sign up for a life of comfortability, of of, uh, yeah, whatever you want to put in that blank. But you know what comes along with that? Jesus, in Hebrews it says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, now seated at the right hand of the Father. So we've entered into a life of joy and peace and abundance. And it comes through pain and through death and, and through suffering and through denying ourselves and, and dying to ourselves and not, not trying to control our lives and save them, but losing our lives. Because in that, Jesus says, we'll find it. There's a book called The Silver Chair that Missy and I just read to our girls. It's in the Chronicles of Narnia. If you have not read that and you've read like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, like read The Silver Chair. I just, 
uh, I've just read in the past couple of years, that is the best one out of that. That's the one they should make a movie about. It is, yeah, I see that, Claire. Yeah, she's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that is the best one. So there's a scene in there where the characters are, man, there's so many good scenes in this book. Like, right from the beginning, beginning chapters, it's like Aslan. And Aslan, if you're not familiar with Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan is the, the savior Jesus figure in, in the book. He's the lion, right? The lion of Judah, right? He's this lion. And, and uh, Aslan has given the characters four things to do. And they've, they've been messing it up. They, they haven't been very obedient. They've been forgetting what they're supposed to do. And he's told them what they're supposed to do, and it's really simple. It's not very complicated. And then at one point, they get to this point, and they know they're supposed to do this next step. And everything is telling them not to. The circumstances are saying, no, 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 it's impossible. There's no way you can do this. It is impossible to do this. And one of the characters, the, the boy in the book, he turns to another one and he says, if we do, if we do this, can you tell me everything's going to be all right? And the other character turns to him and he says, no, I can't. I can't tell you that everything's going to turn out and be okay. But I can tell you that Azan's told us to do this. And they're like, okay. And they hold hands, they're like, they say bye to you, they're like, bye, bye, because we're going to die. And then they step forward, and I'm reading it to my girls, <laughs> and I'm like weeping. <laughs> and Emerson's like, Daddy, are you crying? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just weak because it's so beautiful. And we're so like that, guys. We want to know that everything's going to work out. Jesus never promised everything's going to work out. Not day to day. We know it's going to work out in the end. But I hate when people say, eh, it'll all work out. No, it might not. It might not. Now, all things work together for the good of those who love Jesus. Romans 8, right? And we trust that to be the case. But sometimes, doesn't it feel like your good isn't the same as God's good? And that's where the tension happens. That's when we sit Jesus and we're like, hey, Jesus, that's better over here. Are you sure that's the good you want me to go for? And Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So I invite us into that today as we celebrate baptism to to just come into daily renewal of the cross. As you approach the table this morning, we're going to go into communion song, then we'll go into baptism. This is Christ's body that was broken for us on the cross. This is his blood that was shed for us. And so when you, when you take the bread and dip it in the cup, it represents the gospel in your life. You are saying this morning, I'm taking my cross up today. You're saying, Jesus, thank you for doing that for me so that I can do that. Because only in you can I do that. Only in you would I do that. Because you are everything and you are in my life. So when you're ready, uh, you can step out to your left and do that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love, your forgiveness. Thank you for our very lives and the breath that we breathe right now. You are so amazing. You are God. You are so good. And we love you. And we just celebrate you today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.